Hey friends, welcome back to the Way of the Master podcast. This is episode 25, and I'm going to start a series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And today I'm just going to give you the introduction to that uh, series in this podcast. And, you know, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, as a person, as the person of God that we're interacting with on a regular basis, is essential for us to walk the way of Jesus. There's no way in our own strength to walk in the way of the Lord and what he's called us to uh, as his children without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. And so I want to start this series uh, with a scripture. It's one of the great benedictions from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 14. He says this, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's a great blessing. But in it, we see this statement, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word fellowship we know is koinonia, and it means participation in our with. And so when we are in our relationship with God, as we walk with the Lord every day, we do so through the participation in and with the Holy Spirit. And not only is for that uh, true for us personally, but for us as we live in community, that it's in the Holy Spirit that we participate with him and with each other. So to effectively live the Christian life, the disciple of Jesus must know and understand the triune God, even as we see depicted here in Paul's benediction. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we often relegate the person of the Holy Spirit to kind of a back office role, and yet he's the one with whom we commune. He's the one who dwells within us. In fact, you know, Francis Chan uh, wrote a book a number of years back now uh, called The Forgotten God, and he's referring to the person of the Holy Spirit. That in much of our Christian world for the past few millennia, We've forgotten about the person of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of his work. Now, quite quite honestly, the Holy Spirit has always been spoken of, but he's been kind of relegated to third place uh, behind the Father and the Son. And so I just want to accentuate him in this because uh, when we take that perspective, we really aren't functioning as Trinitarian people. Um, in fact, you know, some some parts of the church have Father, Son, and Holy Book, where we've left the work of the Spirit completely out, and we focus more just on the propositional realities of the Word. But the Holy Spirit is necessary for us to walk in obedience to the Word of God and to understand it. So while we would like to say that our theology springs from the Bible— our, our, our true theology is often formed by our own experience, by our church traditions, and by our cultures. Uh, we are what we're taught, and combined with our spiritual experiences, encounters with God, uh, and our experiences with others, kind of defines a lot of our fundamental understanding of who God is and how he functions. We're shaped in community. And whatever the particular community or communities that we've been part of, they have a certain set of practices that were an expression of their belief. Very often, someone would try to tie these practices to Scripture. And 
in many cases, that's been true, that the practices of the churches that we've been in are truly tied to Scripture. But very often, they're, they're kind of tied to culture more than Scripture. So these spiritual expressions and practices, they're really a cultural product that was handed down as a tradition from someone else. Such transmission influences our theology, sometimes for good and sometimes not so good. So there are human traditions that are embodied in teaching and instruction, and there's God's traditions uh, in teaching and instruction. Uh, you know, if, if we go back and we look at the text, you know, we know that uh, in Torah, that it means the, the instruction in the way. That's what the word means. And so there was the written Torah, and then there was the oral Torah. So the written Torah is about, uh, you know, the, the actual things that were said and done. And then the, the oral tradition, the oral uh, Torah, was interpre interpreting how you live that out. So there were the, the, the stuff that came from directly from the Lord, uh, and then there were those human traditions that were placed upon it. And we see this in the context of uh, the Scripture in the New Testament specifically. Paul says in Galatians 1.14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So he's talking about the oral tradition, how they understood Torah was to be practiced. Colossians 2.8, he says this to the church at Colossae, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so Paul at one place is saying that I fully embrace these human traditions, and I was wrong. And then to the church in Colossae, he warns them about those things that spring from the mind of man that are added onto the scripture and are not necessarily a clear understanding of God's intention. Now, obviously, scripture is always open to interpretation, and but we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us that interpretation. Uh, and so we need to understand that, you know, God's traditions, God's patterns of life that we derive from the scripture are are truly there and they're truly inspired and we need to seek them. So again, Paul speaking of 1 Corinthians 11 too, now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. So there, there, are, there are patterns of life, there are practices that are tied to our belief that we need to embrace. And Paul says uh, to the Corinthian church that you know he commends them for where they've held to the tradition he's passed on. In 2 Thessalonians 2.15, Paul says this to the church at Thessalonica, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. Also, he goes on to say this in 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with tradition that we that you receive from us. So there are things that are supposed to be passed on, and it's totally appropriate. 
there are ways of practice and ways of belief that that need to be passed on. And they do take form in culture, but we can't let the culture determine what the practices are. It's, it's, they may take uh, form in culture, but in, you know, culture doesn't determine what they are. Uh, for example, <laughs> a worship in a church in Latin America is going to be different from a worship, uh, different worship from a church in Asia because of just the, the, the cultural dynamics. So while it will incarnate and clothe itself in the culture, it doesn't necessarily have to be driven by the culture. Now, so some aspects of our personal or corporate or even denominational traditions uh, that arise from our theology are great, but some parts are a real problem. Second uh, Corinthians 10, Paul speaking again, starting verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So there are strongholds in the mind, enculturated ways and patterns of thinking that we have because of how we were raised, where we were raised, the families we were born into, the cultures we were born into, and it shapes us. And, and so some of those things are negative, and they exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. In other words, they resist the knowledge of Christ. So it's, a, it's thinking patterns, it's proud thoughts, it's, it's things that we hold on to that are near and dear, but may not be actually rooted in Scripture. And so we have to strip away the cultural incrustation on our theology and our thinking as much as possible, getting back to the original intent of the text so that we can understand what this all looks like. Because it's important for us to understand the Holy Spirit in the biblical context so that we can have an authentic relationship with him. And so we don't want to have the blinders on from our culture. I was raised in a Bible-believing Presbyterian church during the Jesus movement uh, back in the 60s and 70s. And uh, when, um, you know, it, it had a particular way about it, a particular thought about it, God was moving. But uh, we didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We didn't, we had a lot of people coming to Jesus, a lot of great stuff happening. But there wasn't a full expression of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until I was introduced to uh, um, different streams of the church that would be considered Pentecostal or charismatic, or, or sometimes they use the term spirit-filled, uh, people who had an encounter with Christ uh, through the person of the Holy Spirit, that was very uh, demonstrative, that was very... Um, not just internal reflective, but external demonstration of the spirit of power. Um, you know, I, I didn't know what that looked like. Now, what was interesting is I had spiritual encounters uh, with God all my childhood. Um, I had dreams and visions and Presbyterians didn't have those things. So no one could explain it to me. And, and as I started to study the scripture for myself as a teen, I began to understand a lot about this, but I, you know, I really didn't fit the culture. And it's because my experience was not normative for the culture. 
And so I was kind of put in a little box. I was loved. I was accepted. But, you know, I was considered, well, he's, he's you know, he's a Christian mystic. He's, he's kind of, he's kind of out there, and, which is probably true. But, uh, but I didn't fit the culture. So, so what does it mean for us to be people who are of the Spirit, who are walking in the Spirit, who are, are, are functioning in the fullness of the Spirit? Uh, you know, much of what we've received in our day is from those who've gone before, and it's a mixture of biblical theology and human traditions, um, traditions rooted in the revivalism of the 19th century and maybe the, the Pentecostal and charismatic movements of the, the early and mid 20th century, uh, maybe some of the, the third wave movement in the evangelical churches through John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement, uh, who consider themselves to be empowered evangelicals. You know, whatever it is, we need to decode the cultural elements in our theology and practice as they can keep us from being uh, fruitful in the Lord. So we need to recode our theology and practice based upon a more complete understanding of the Scripture in relation to the work, ministry, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. We must let Scripture speak clearly by the unction of the Holy Spirit and within the context that it was written and build our practices upon it. So we are 2,000 years downstream, give or take, from the scripture being written. We ended up with the canon uh, by 200, 300 so AD. And so we've, we've had the scripture, uh, but we, we read it in the framework of our church culture. And today, even a lot through our, our Western culture here in the United States. We need to recode our theology and practice. We must cultivate a life in the Spirit. And from that, we have to live and do ministry based in the Holy Spirit. Letting both be a natural, supernatural outflow of who He is in us. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is, a is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's still true. Now, Paul writes to the Corinthian church uh, to bring a corrective word. They were really into the spiritual phenomenon and spiritual gifts, and but they were really into a lot of stuff. And so they were just kind of out of bounds all across the spectrum of life and, and ministry and practice. But Paul confirms here in this corrective word that each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. And it's supposed to be for the common good. So manifestation here is the Greek word phanerosis. And basically it means the shining through or showing forth of the spirit. So let's get this straight. If, if God isn't, is doing something at all through us, it's happening through the Holy Spirit shining through us. It's not us. It's not just our good idea. It's not just our good intention but it is actually the work of Christ through the person of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. And so we have to cultivate a life in the Spirit. And it's that, it's in that, that we live and we move. We have our being, as the scripture says, and it's in that that we do ministry. You know, I, I've, I've adopted this scripture as a life scripture from John 5.19. Jesus 
said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but he only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And that's still true for us today. If we want to partner with the father, we have to see what he's doing. And that can only happen through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the Spirit in us. You know, in, in John 7, 37 to 39, Jesus said this, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will throw, flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those in whom he believed were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not been glorified. So the water feast, uh, or the water ritual in the last day, is they would take water from the, a specific well and wa walk it up and pour it out to cleanse the altar. And so this water ritual was symbolic of cleansing. The sacrifice, the atonement had been done. And Jesus said that it's going to be, once you're, once you're sanctified, once the sacrifice has been made for you, the Holy Spirit's going to flow out of you like water. It's going to bring life, living water, flowing water, not stagnant water. And in this, the water ritual on the last day of, of um, the feast, uh, Feast of Tabernacles, was done with great joy, and it symbolizes the drawing out of revelation. You know, the water was then poured out on the temple, uh, the altar of the temple. It's, it's really interesting. But some Jews in parts of the world still practice this by pouring water on each other. And so they do this because it's symbolic of revelation being poured out. So this is the starting point of our discussion. We need to recode our theology and understand the person, work, and ministry of the Holy Spirit. That we need to understand what it looks like in a normative sense for people to be led of the Spirit, uh, to function as Spirit, to have the, the Spirit shining through them and showing forth through them to bring life to other people. It's normative for Christians to bring life through the Holy Spirit. It's not exceptional. It's not for a certain class of spiritual super saints. Yeah, spiritual gifts the showing forth of God, the manifestation of the Spirit, is something that is for everyone. And that's the starting point of our discussion in this series. What does the contemporary work of the Holy Spirit look like in and through us today? So dig into the Scripture and pray and ask God to show you by His Spirit the truth of the Scripture so that you too can embrace the full working that God has for you. God bless.